Sensibly Speaking Podcast. This is Chris Shelton, the critical thinker at large, coming at you for another Rock'em Sock'em episode of Podcasting Greatness on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and with video here on YouTube. Okay, guys, it is the return of the three apostates. Hello, Jonathan. Hello, Lloyd. Hello. Hey, Chris, <laughs> Lloyd. It's great to be back. Yes. It's a pleasure to be with you gentlemen again <laughs> to discuss many profound things. Exactly. And this week it is going to be uh, actually kind of fun. I think this is going to be pretty interesting. Um, but a kind of a dark topic, actually. We're going we're gonna to be a little light about this, I think. But this is actually a little bit on the dark side. And what we're talking about here is child indoctrination uh, within our groups. And this is actually a thing. Now, Scientology actually lags behind on this one. And I think uh, I think we're going to be hearing a lot from Jonathan and Lloyd in this episode. I'll have a few things to throw in here. And we're also going to uh, experiment a little bit with some uh, Zoom functions here, because what I want to do is show you guys, while we're going through the episode here this week, we're going we're gonna to play some little snippets from some videos that have been posted from our groups and uh, from others to demonstrate what we're talking about with child indoctrination. So first off... Um, before we even get into that, let us introduce ourselves for those who don't know who we are and what the Three Apostates is all about. Uh, John, they, you want to go first? If don't know who we are by now, then <laughs> well. on them. I'm not going to fill in gaps in their knowledge. You know, for goodness sake. Catch well, up, some but... of us don't have egos as big as a bunker, so <laughs> yeah, that's we true. can that's do true. that, you know. So I'm John Streeter. I, uh, I was raised as a Mormon and kind of studied, got into studying the history and studying other groups and how they function and decided that my pathway was going to be something different from Mormonism. And in the meantime, uh, started blogging and podcasting and was uh, able to connect with these other two fine gentlemen, Chris and Lloyd, from their respective groups. And I've really enjoyed kind of comparing and contrasting the experience that I had in Mormonism with Scientology and JDOS. My name's Lloyd Evans, and many years ago, I decided to embark on a path that would lead me to world domination, and I decided <laughs> the easiest way to do that was to become um, an ex-Jehovah's Witness activist, and to that end, I founded the website jwsurvey.org. I run the YouTube channel John Cedars, which you should absolutely subscribe to, and no, this isn't a shameless attempt at stealing <laughs> Chris's subscribers. And I am the author of the book, The Reluctant Apostate, which you can check out on Amazon. Beautiful. Beautiful. Uh, yeah, it would, be, uh, it would be no problem at all for everybody to subscribe to both of these guys' channels. They, are, uh, they put out some amazing stuff. Um, okay, child indoctrination. Let's go ahead and get right into it. So Now, Chris, before yeah. we start that, oh, like, yeah. why, why is Scientology different? Tell us a little bit about why there's not as much of an impact in child indoctrination in Scientology. What is it about Scientology that makes that the case? Um, I think it has to do with the fact that they haven't yet realized the potential market. Um, you know, they are a little slow. There are not a lot of folks up at the top of Scientology who are actually doing all the work. And so they're always struggling, always behind. And so what they've really only done over the years is a few courses, a few classes specifically designed for kids. No video work, really. No cartoons. No uh, overt attempt to, um, you know, provide a path of indoctrination into L. Ron Hubbard personally or Scientology. 
concepts as such. There's there's very little work on this. There's really only a children's communications class, a children's grammar and communications class, and some study classes for children to learn how to learn. And that's Forgive actually me if I'm wrong, Chris. Yeah. But aren't children mostly a nuisance to Scientology? Because don't they kind of try and, you know, even encourage abortions if necessary to kind of make it easier for people to join and work for the Sea Org. Yes, the Sea Org specifically is definitely anti-kids. There's just no yeah. other name for the attitude that Sea Org members have for kids. They don't like kids. They don't that kids are what are called dev T. They're mm-hmm. they're developed traffic. They are uh, unnecessary <laughs> in the in, in the course of spiritual salvation, right? And yeah. um, and so they yeah they really don't have a thing about it. Now now I got to be clear though that that's Sea Org and Sea Org is sort of your you know your your clergy of Scientology as opposed to the public Scientologists who love kids. They have kids. They have families. They you know they they raise their kids and all that. But as far as the church putting out Scientology materials to teach children about Scientology, they've really, this is actually an area they've really lagged behind on compared to uh, the other groups here. Hmm. Yeah, it's, it's kind of interesting. And I do think that that attitude, uh, Lloyd, has something to do with it because the person who would decide, okay, this is a market we need to get into, this is a thing we need to be doing, this is an effort we need to be making, mm-hmm. that would be David Miscavige. And David Miscavige is terrified of kids, apparently. Well, if again, I mean, you say that there's a difference between the Sea Org and ordinary parishioners, and, and I get that. Mm-hmm. But if it's ultimately the people in the Sea Org who are going to make decisions about the extent to which they want to indoctrinate children, and if they're in an environment where children are virtually loathed, it's quite easy to understand why they would overlook this huge potential market of new converts, because with Jehovah's Witnesses, and I'm sure to some extent with Mormons, it's entirely the opposite. They they see children as an opportunity for bare minimum the organization to keep its head above water, hopefully for the organization to thrive, because they, I think, understand at some level that the preaching work is achieving virtually nothing. So their best chance of growing is to just churn out babies. Hmm. I, I, I think you're absolutely right about that, and I think that... Um... Uh, there, the the uh, the thing that Scientology has recognized that kids are useful for is um, proxy donors for their parents, right? Get your kids their lifetime International Association of Scientologists membership when they're three or four years old, right? That's a, that's like five thousand bucks. Um, get your kids <laughs> their yeah, right. Get their lifetime membership right, in the Church of Scientology. Get their bridge paid for. Get all their services paid for. That's what you do with your kids, and that's how kids are sort of thought of within the Scientology world, is how can we use these kids to get the parents to pony over more money. And other than that, I swear to God, Scientology really hasn't thought about kids at all. Mm. In Mormonism, it's interesting in that it's not really even, it didn't start out as a route to um, proselytizing or to increasing numbers, it's in, integral to the theology that children are like crowns in your jewel. And this goes back, I mean, jewels in your crown. Um, <laughs> this goes back to um, like even the founder, Joseph Smith, when he was conceiving of a theological framework that would justify polygamy and some of the things that are inherent to Mormonism in its very early days, 
um, this idea that we are spirit children of God and that that pattern of heavenly father and spirit children is to be repeated by us as the human beings that have the potential to become gods, then the idea that God has billions upon billions of children is kind of muted down to Mormon themselves. And then when you have one man who we've got to create a justification for having multiple wives, part of that justification was to increase the seed and increase the output that you would have. And so large families are theologically important to it. And then they added layers of meaning on top of that like there was a set number of spirits and they needed to come to the earth in righteous Mormon households. And so if you as a woman stopped having babies, then you were preventing spirits from entering into righteous households. And that has all sorts of ways of messing with the minds of adults, with women in particular, about how they are simply vessels for spirits and have no worth beyond that. But it also gives you a, an, an elitist notion of that you are better than the rest of the world around you because you are a righteous Mormon household. And it just affects the way that you see the world, the way that you see yourself. And it carries through into Mormonism today, although in subtler terms. Interesting. There was one other thing I just realized in talking about Scientology and kids that I think is crucial to the difference between our groups, um, and that is this Scientology attitude that children are actually just adults in little bodies that haven't grown yet. And so when children come into Scientology, they get these, you know, these children's classes that they can do, which are mostly, mostly consist of a lot of pictures. A lot of, they're mostly picture books that teach the concepts. And, and, and that's fine as far as children's materials go. But, I, but the Scientology attitude at the public level all the way through the Sea Org also is these are actually you know, advanced spiritual entities in little tiny bodies who just need to be reminded of things. They don't need to be taught things they so much as they need to be reminded of things and so they really that attitude colors every aspect of how children are dealt with in Scientology and that's also might be one reason why there isn't um, child oriented indoctrination materials because actually what are used are the adult materials and the kids are just made to suffer through dictionaries and grammar books and you know you got to understand it you got to figure it out so we got to remind you what all these words mean and it's well, kind of like up, that. You know. That brings up a really key, I guess, principle that I think I'd like to hear Lloyd's take on and everything. And that is, um, you know, outside of the world of these religions, I think society has come to terms with the idea that there's a maturation that happens in the mind of a human that allows it to understand consequences, to understand complex thoughts, and to have a degree of autonomy over its own decisions. And, you know, in America, that's generally around age 18, we say somebody's become an adult. You're not able to enter into contracts or contracts are not respected before age 18. We've come to the point where, for the most part, uh, consent for engaging in sexual activity. And there's a hard line drawn at age 18 for these important reasons about and a person's ability to understand, understand the consequences of their actions, the implications for other people. And it seems like religions that start this indoctrination at the infant level or, you know, as children kind of, um, go a bit too far in some aspects. We all understand we have to teach children some things, but um, Lloyd, what's your take on how Jehovah's Witnesses deal with this issue of critical thinking and autonomy and the ability to make decisions and know right from wrong? Well, there's no critical thinking. <laughs> it's just a case <laughs> of, you know, this is what you're supposed to believe. 
Um, and I, I agree that one of the most disgraceful aspects of child indoctrination from the viewpoint of Jehovah's Witnesses and the way they do things is is the way the focus is on getting them through getting them in the baptism pool as quickly as possible so there's even a talk by um governing body member my favorite tony morris um in which he basically encourages parents to threaten their teenagers uh, with not getting their driving license until they've been baptized so it's okay to blackmail your kids into committing to the religion. The ends justify the means, as I'm, you know, I'm sure is the case in both of your groups. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the, everything is is geared towards let's get these kids baptized as quickly as possible, get it done, and then ask questions later. And then once the child is is baptized, and in my case, I was baptized at age 11, long before I knew anything about you know, the intricacies of Jehovah's Witness doctrine and history, it was just understood to me that if I didn't get baptized and Armageddon came, I was toast. So, of course, I'm going to, you know, do whatever it takes to survive and and to make my family happy. But, you know, you, you you raise a good point, Jonathan, that there's a reason why kids aren't allowed to get into employment situations or sign contracts or own property or you know have sex before a certain age and it's because they're not ready to do those things but with jehovah's witnesses they say forget all that you know we need to get these kids baptized as young as possible and i believe the youngest age that's cited in the publications is seven so from the age of seven, they're baptizing these kids. And once they are baptized, they are considered as wedded to the organization to the point where they're liable for shunning if they ever leave for any reason. And and that's just deeply, deeply wrong. Okay. So that's, see, that's, you're talking about kind of two different things here, which is you have the indoctrination, which is feeding all of these messages that go into making that decision that free decision you know of your own free will to be baptized but then there's the psychological and even social and cultural power of what that commitment and have the state of being baptized means for you Mm. in terms of your abilities to make decisions in the future Mm. and um i think in mormonism literally held here i am in 2019 and i'm 40 Mm -hmm. years old and I'm literally being held to a decision I was coerced into making at the age of 11. If I hadn't been baptized, it would be an entirely different story. And we know of situations in our own family where, a, let's say, an extended family member is a teenager and they just happen to skip baptism and they are kind of rebelling a bit and they're doing all sorts of stuff that you know, is is against Jehovah's Witness rules and would easily get them disfellowshipped. But our extended family who are believing witnesses are talking to them freely because they never got baptized, mm. but shunning Diana and I because we left as a conscientious decision because yeah. we could no longer believe because we were baptized. That's interesting that mm. um, the the difference between people who make that decision and and don't make that decision we have kind of a parallel for that in mormonism but i'm a little bit 
baffled by the idea that you get to choose when that happens in Jehovah's Witnesses, because in Mormonism, the decision is made for you. Oh, really? And that is early in the church history, it was revealed that the age of discernment, the age where you are mature enough to know right from wrong is eight years old. Oh, and so what, what putting a date on it does in Mormon culture is that it, there's this big buildup to when you become eight. You know, if you're about to be eight, then the bishop is going to call you into their office and they're going to start talking to you about what it means to be worthy, to be baptized and the covenant that you make. And I think that you'll, you'll start to hear the word covenant in Mormon theology very um, importantly from that point on in your in your life, because much like you're talking about how baptism changes your relationship to the organization in Mormonism, once you start making covenants and baptism is one of those first covenants, then there's a psychological pressure on you. Whereas if you ever leave, they can say that you are a covenant breaker. Mm -hmm. And by the same token, leaders will start talking about apostates or people who left the church with that phrase covenant breaker or non-covenant keeping or the on the other side they'll refer to members of the church as covenant keeping but who's in the position to sign up to a covenant when they're eight years old exactly we we don't consider eight-year-olds mm. capable of of you know signing contracts mm. but even on the flip side of it let's say that a nine-year-old says you know mom i was on the internet and i read some stuff about joseph smith and i just i don't i don't i can't agree with any of it then suddenly well you can't make that decision until you're 18. <laughs> so if you if you want to leave the organization well you're not mature enough to know or to you know figure this stuff out until you turn 18. and so it's kind of it's a double standard um and it's like many things in these organizations you know you're held in a double bind and, and where you, you can't use the idea that they have, which is that you're old enough to, to have the, know the difference between right and wrong in order to choose something other than the group. Right. Um, that is fascinating. I have, uh, I, the only other thing I can compare here is with Scientologists, it's all about at what point is the child ready to do Scientology services? And I think this also maybe highlights a key difference for us is that Scientology is all about getting people in to pay money to do services, do classes, and do auditing. And you guys are more, your groups are more about once a person is a professed believer and counted in the roles, okay, good, we got him, right? Like they don't, like you guys don't necessarily freak out if the family doesn't come to church every Sunday, right? As long as they're still professing belief and membership, or oh, am no. I off on that? You're off on that for Mormonism. Am I? Okay, so every week you got to show up, or there's something there's something up. If you don't yeah, show get... up every week, that you know you, you're going to get spoken to by the elders. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Good. I think then the difference you yeah. may the difference you may be thinking of, Chris, is that Scientology services is a transaction that takes place where they do something for you that you've paid for. Yes. Whereas I think maybe with Jehovah's Witnesses, but certainly with Mormonism, they get you into the club. And then they encourage you to go out and get a career and get educated, get as high paying and lucrative a career as possible because they know that part of the theological uh, expectations of the group are that you are going to pay a full tithe, which is 10% of your us. income. Yeah. Right. And so yeah. they don't have, they, you, like it doesn't even, even if you don't attend meetings, honestly, mm. there's going to be that annual thing where they're checking to see if you're a full tithe payer. Right now, Mormons across the world are getting contacted by their local leadership saying, come in for tithing settlement. And you think it's, it's almost like, oh, it's like taxes or something like that. You meet with the bishop and he looks at you 
and he says, are you a full tithe payer? And then the pressure's on you to declare whether or not, and there are some people who don't pay tithing throughout the year, and at tithing settlement, they whip out their checkbook and they write a check for 10%. And so one of the things that you'll see in ex-Mormon communities is that people, because you get a little receipt for this, though people will show the receipts, hey, I paid $30,000 in tithing one year. And it's just mind blowing, but that's how the church, it's a farm that exploits people based on spiritual threats, essentially, like you were talking about Lloyd, where, you know, if you don't agree to get baptized, or once you've been baptized, if you don't stay, then you're under threat of spiritual death in mm. Armageddon or whatever. It's the same yeah, sort of thing. That's actually, the, the whole issue with Jehovah's Witnesses is so different. And I actually cite this as one of my lines of evidence whenever I'm dealing with the question of whether the leadership is cynical, or genuinely deluded. Because my argument is that one of the one of the leading lines of evidence that they are genuinely deluded rather than pulling a deliberate scam is that even though they know or they must know that their best chance is to indoctrinate kids so that kids can sustain the organization although all they are interested in is the loyalty of the children and making sure that the children pledge themselves to the organization and are willing to recruit for the organization as young as possible, straight out of high school if necessary. They actively dissuade young people from going through higher education and from getting well-paid jobs. The ideal scenario for a young witness man would be that he gets a job as a window cleaner or just something very simple like that that will allow him to um, sustain a career as a pioneer so that he's doing 70 hours per week preaching and the rest of the time he's doing this part-time window cleaning job. That would be the ideal model for a young Jehovah's Witness man. And I think the fact that they aren't realizing that it's in their interests to encourage these young witnesses to go out and get well-paying jobs. They're more concerned about the threat of them going through university and learning critical thinking. <laughs> that in a way convinces me that it's not as, as simple as saying, oh, that they must be cynical. I think to some extent they are cynical, but I think it's far more nuanced. And generally speaking, I think the leadership genuinely believes that they are spokespersons for God and that Armageddon is coming and that surviving Armageddon depends on Jehovah's Witnesses, including young Jehovah's Witnesses, being as close to the organization as possible. Interesting. Let, let me um, let me just throw in here for a second, because I think that Scientologists are closer to JWs than Mormons. And I think it's due more to short-sightedness than anything else for Scientology. I mean, they've only been around for 50, 60 years, right? So they're very, very much still in scrape and scrabble and make the money and, you know, and let's, and let's get big mode for Scientology. And so their whole interest, if we paint a picture of an ideal picture for a young person in Scientology, it is to join staff, not go to higher education, definitely not. Hubbard poo-pooed colleges, and we and I personally used that, used those quotes from L. Ron Hubbard to discourage people from higher education when I was trying to recruit them to be staff members wow. or, or Sea Org members. And that's the ultimate ideal, is that they grow up and they sign that billion-year contract, 
and then they join the Sea Org and they are lifetime members of that because they don't just they just they're just still in pure Scrabble survival mode of too few people trying to do too much work and that's their attitude about it. And I need to point out real fast before I forget that Jonathan's mentioned many times, you know, contract law and signing contracts. None of nobody in Scientology cares about that. Kids mm-hmm. sign contracts in the C, in, for the Sea Org, for classes, for courses. They have to have parental permission, of course, as well to make it legal. But they are eager to have children learn responsibility and learn to sign on the dotted line and, and take responsibility, quote-unquote, for their own actions and all of that because of that persistent attitude of they're adults in little bodies, and that's how they're treated. See, so. I think that's a common theme here, and that is yeah. that these groups are short-circuiting the notion of autonomy and free agency by inserting themselves into that process for the individual, giving them a distorted view of what autonomy and free agency and accountability are, and and putting this paradigm so that the individuals think that that's what they're participating in, when underneath it all, there's this real spiritual coercion that's happening. So in Mormonism, there's this idea that you know, you reach the age of accountability, you're able to tell the difference between right and wrong, but the choice that is presented to you is that the right thing to do is to get baptized. And the wrong thing to do that would disappoint your family, that would deprive you of the spiritual benefits of the Holy Ghost and all of the things that go along with being baptized and going on that covenant path, that is a a wicked choice. And so in almost this fetish of free agency, you'll see parents post on Facebook a picture of their eight-year-old child in white just coming out of the baptismal font or about to be in the baptismal font with the celebratory caption, you know, my daughter or son chose freely to be baptized without, and, and people who aren't familiar with the theology and doctrine may not understand that that choice was one between disappointing your entire family, not living up to God's promises and God's hopes. You know, what is an eight-year-old supposed to do at that point? Well, it's not think, a choice, is it? It's no, like it's not. saying you, you chose to not be destroyed in Armageddon and to survive into the paradise. It's not a choice. No. Any more than it's a choice if you, if you uh, happen to be a bank clerk and someone walks in and points a gun at you and says, fill this sack with money, or I'm going to shoot you. You know, a bank clerk under those situations would be understood to be not acting of their own free will if they if they fill the sack with money, because you know their lives are more important. So, this is one of the most disturbing things: is is that cults uh, like Jehovah's Witnesses, you know, people who are defending them and apologists will say, "Oh well, you know, you chose this path, Lloyd." You know, nobody made you do it. No, actually, I was made to do this because I I genuinely feared for my life. That's that coercive element to it that when they don't let you identify the religious messaging they give you as coercion, then it disarms you from being able to see it as a coercive relationship. And I think that's why they're Mm. starting at the age of children and they're... um, you know, you talked about how Jehovah's Witness governing body was more interested in children being indoctrinated to show deference to the group, to submit their lives to the group. And this is when it starts. So you have that that relationship with the organization that is rotten at its core because it is based on coercion. And if you start that as a child and, and then you start coloring anything that would free someone's mind from that level of control, 
with words like darkness or apostasy or um, you know any of these negative things, then it creates this aura of fear. So that eventually, if they ever encounter something that would make them doubt, it it makes their mind go to a dark place. Mm-hmm. And I think Chris, I go ahead. Well, well, I want. I thought this was a perfect segue to you know what we had prepped here because I yeah, have a let's, couple let's of videos video. to put together here or show and. I want to, um, you know, I want to put in, say here first off for myself that I want to, I want to reiterate that, um, you know, we're faced with uh, difficult choices with children because you have facts and objective evidence and, and, and things to teach children, reading, writing, arithmetic, all that. And there's a lot of folks out there who think that their religion is just as true as arithmetic. <laughs> or as yeah. or as as biology, right? It's like just as true. It's at the same level. In fact, it's even more true. And so, therefore, they don't look at indoctrinating their kids into this as as potentially coercive or or abusive. And yet, my position is exactly the opposite. I definitely believe that religious indoctrination of children in only one belief system is a kind of abuse because I think you're limiting that child's ability to think. Uh, you're locking him into a particular worldview and mindset from which the child has no critical thinking skills or experience to be able to think outside that box. And you're the one as a parent or as a minister or as a religious figure who is creating that box. And the, the child's not coming up with it. You're, it's indoctrination. And so that's, that's my problem with it at a, at, a, at a fundamental level. And more specifically, and leading into this video here, I want to point out that uh, the indoctrination that we're going to show here, or at least starting off here, is also about obedience and authority and, and teaching children that the, the worldly figures of the church are to be obeyed without question. It's not a matter just of teaching that God's word is to be obeyed without question. It's that the, the pope or the world leaders uh, are also supposed to be obeyed without question. And that's, and when indoctrination goes in that direction, you're not just indoctrinating religious belief, you're indoctrinating a chain of authority that this child is supposed to somehow just follow without question. And, you know, unquestioning commitment on the part of a child, like, you better be sure you know what you're talking about, because you're putting something in place for this kid in his head that he's going to have there for the rest of his life. You know, you know, and that's that's important. That's a that's a great segue. And what I'd like for the viewers to do as we go into this video is to kind of contrast the different ways that you would approach a child about how to look at the world around them. Now, Lloyd, you've talked on your um, interviews and channels about the way that you are raising your young daughter and how she is to look at and examine things. And you've had you've um, if somebody was to come to you and say, well, Lloyd you are indoctrinating your child just no different from Jehovah's Witness indoctrination. It's just a different flavor of indoctrination. How would you respond to that? And for the viewers, when we go into this video, I want you to just look at the difference between the way that you're instructing children, the the reasons and the the types of analyses Mm -hmm. that you're giving as a tools to your children to look at the world around them. How do do you respond to it? I, I would say and do say, because I do get people saying that to me, um, I need to have a doctrine to indoctrinate. I can't indoctrinate my child into something if there is literally no Scientism is your doctrine, God. Lloyd. Scientism. No, I am passing on critical thinking skills. So and I, I do that unapologetically. So um, Jessica ha- is receiving critical thinking skills from me 
And the whole point is that when she is an adult and she has these critical thinking skills at her disposal, she'll be able to make whatever choice she wants to make about what she believes or doesn't believe. But it's my responsibility as a parent to make sure that she isn't co-opted into any uh, exploitative groups that uh, coerce people based on supernatural claims. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And what I would add is another dimension to that. If someone were to ask me about that, I would say, well, I want you to look at the boundaries and the consequences of exploring different types of thought that I give my children as a framework. If I tell them that they're able to look at the world around them, but if they go too far in one direction, or if they think about or do make some decision, then God is going to kill them spiritually, or that they're going to lose their family spiritually, then it's that element of negative consequences that are based on theological claims that are not justified, that uh, informs whether or not the decision is coercive. Now, I could, I could educate them about consequences of actions and things like that, which are inherent to being alive and existing, but that's different from saying that God is going to punish you or that you'll be subject to Satan's buffetings or something like that. Exactly. Well, let's take a look at this and see where which, which side of the line you yeah. think this one falls on. Let me, uh, <laughs> so, let me share this so screen Chris, here. This video that um, I shared with you guys, uh, in Mormonism, this video comes up a lot because it just seems really close to what we're taught as Mormons. But there's this international church that at one point, they have a YouTube channel, they published this video of a children's song thinking that this is great. You know, people are going to learn it in the church and it's going to be great. It's, it's teaching a good principle. And when they posted it, they were blind to how toxic the message actually is. And it just went like crazy. You know, even other religions looked at this and were like, that is crazy. And people started saying, this is a true mark of a cult that they would teach children something like this. And the group subsequently put it down and tried to erase the history of it like it never happened, but it happened. And you can see that there's a, a degree of production value into this and that it wasn't just like one local unit doing it. It's an international effort. Um, so that's kind of the setup for it. Excellent. All right. Well, let's give this a shot here. Okay, so I think we get the idea there. And that it goes into multiple languages. Yes, this goes this goes on for three and a half minutes, and it's these children singing, and then it goes into other languages of them singing this same lyric. And we got the lyric, and so that's why I just wanted to show that little snippet there of submit. Uh, you know, they were replaced by they were replaced by Lord God to lead his nation. I mean, this is definitely coercive <laughs> i don't know other word to use to describe oh this. so yeah there's like three verses the first one is always submit to the church administration so there's a message of deference to authority blind deference to authority it wasn't like you know submit to the church administration as long as they are following their rules and not doing anything coercive and not abusive it's not that it's always submit so mm -hmm. if you disagree if you have a conscientious objection to something that they're teaching or doing 
none of that. You have to always submit to the church administration. Second verse, why? Why are, why are these men in power such that we should always submit them? And they give you the reason. Because they were put there by God for the Lord's administration. You know, so there now is backing it up. Not, now there's a reason why you have to do it and that it's God. So anything that these men say or do is with the full of force and effect of God. And this is something that speaks very much to Mormons because we have prophets and apostles who carry the priesthood, the power, and they are ordained to act as God's mouthpiece on the earth. And so it's that same fuel to this culture of complete blind obedience. And then the last one adds in the coercive element, which is that your salvation is in jeopardy if you do not do this. You know, and that can mean spiritual annihilation in Mormonism. It means eternal separation from your family relationships and loss of God's blessings. You know, there's in Jehovah's Witnesses, I'm sure there's a whole colorful palette of things that that would imply. But, um, you know, when you look at the age of these kids that are singing this melody, which is simple, repetitive, and full of these three toxic ideas, which are, you know, if you saw them in any other group, if any of our groups saw them in any other group, we're like, that's totally a cult. My prophet's okay, but that prophet's messed up, you know? Right. I don't know. What was your take on it, Lloyd? It, it's, um, I can't, I'm, instinctively you want to make fun of it, don't you? Because it's just so uh, outrageous. But I, I'm, I find it genuinely very chilling to see children being overtly manipulated in that way especially you know i'm not suggesting that you can't find it chilling if you're not a parent but especially as a parent knowing how malleable young minds are um i can't i i struggle to see the funny side in that context because this is a very a very flagrant attempt to you know hijack young minds and to um uh, to code them so that there is unquestioning loyalty to an authority. And as you say, it's a, it's a loyalty that has no caveats, you know, no matter what you're told, you need to obey. So, yeah, and, and unfortunately, as I'm watching it, I'm also thinking about the equivalent in Jehovah's Witnesses, which I'm, we're probably going to come to. But Yeah, actually, yeah. Let's, uh, let's go ahead and throw that up there because I think that that is... Uh... Before you get to that, Chris, uh, up there. Yep. you know the thing you were mentioning, uh, Lloyd, about uh, kind of coding and programming children's minds so that mm. they have this absolute deference. That can be exploited on an institutional level. You know, as they grow up, the choices that they would have available to them are limited to things that the leadership would provide for them in their lives. But it can also be exploited on an individual level, where men put in positions of local authority which have that same transposition of autonomy to now, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be the, the highest authority. It can be even your local authorities who get to be there placed by God is that they are then put in a position where they can enact uh, abuse on vulnerable children based on the fact that they've been programmed to always defer to the church administration. Mm. And so in Mormonism, we've seen this take the shape of bishops who sexually abuse children and in some cases use the paradigm of repentance and having to go through a process in order to receive forgiveness where they include abusive things in that relation, in, the, in that process, doing religious things under the umbrella of their authority. 
Now, if any of these things ever come out, the church will always deny it and say, well, no, 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 the church is not responsible for the actions of that local leader. But what they're missing, the boat that they're missing here is that the indoctrination, the deference to authority that is powerful in its effect on the young minds who already are dependent on their parents and on adults around them to be safe in the world, you know, they only know trust. You're not teaching them critical thought, you're teaching them absolute deference. That's all they know. And so the fact that the church has this level of indoctrination makes the children vulnerable and absolutely the organization is culpable for their part in these abuses. Yeah, and we gotta be real clear here that um, children are trusting until they learn some reason not to be. So when you're giving children absolute you know, black and white thinking statements like this, always submit to authority, listen and obey, and this kind of thing. You know, these are these are powerful words. <laughs> submit is not a is not a tiny little word. It's a very yeah. strong word. And you know, this this whole the and this and what you just highlighted there, I mean, the the Catholic parallel or or example comes immediately rushing to mind, as it should. Because when children are indoctrinated to believe that their religious leaders are infallible and must always be submitted to, look at the doors that that could possibly be opened there with child sexual abuse and assault. And those children are literally have been primed to believe that this is exactly what they are supposed to be doing, is submitting to this person, giving in to this person. And when this person then tells them, you are to keep this quiet, this is between you and me, this is our sacred special time or whatever bullshit the, the, the pedophile you know, gives to the kid, when the kid's been primed to listen and obey, <laughs> you know, there's some responsibility on the part of the parent there with that indoctrination. I'm sorry, but there is. You know, and I'm not trying to blame parents. I'm not trying to say the parent's responsible for a pedophile's actions. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is the child has been primed to be put in a position where that child will be taken advantage of and then be told to keep it secret and will do so by the teachings that the parent put there. Instead of, say, teaching the child, if you're ever in a position where things seem weird or something's going on or something seems bizarre, no matter who it is, let me know what's going on, right? Let me know what's happening. That kind of thing. I don't know. You know, what do you what do you guys think about that? I think you it's, have it's hard to look at those situations and say, well, the parents are to blame. You know, if parents have grown up in this same milieu where they themselves are the victims of indoctrination, indoctrination doesn't magically disappear when you're 18 or when you get married or when you have kids. That's right. And in many cases, you have very fond memories of your own experience growing up. And so you almost feel proud to raise your children in that same tradition because you're blind to the dangers and you, you know, you lucked out and you weren't victimized yourself to with some of these abuses. But I think it's been a wake up call for many parents when they realize that the notions of the leaders carrying that inherent trust is something that is a vulnerability that can be exploited rather than, you know, something that you can always rely on. Um, it's, you know, I don't demonize parents for that. I think that part of the work that you guys do in educating people can wake up people to the state of the danger that's involved in this. And so that's why some of the work that in Mormonism, we have a guy named Sam Young, who's trying to 
educate people on the dangers of this blind obedience and these no uh, men to having Brigham. access to it. No, no relation to Brigham, okay. thankfully. Um, and so, you know, it, it started out as protect LDS children. Now it's protect all children and it's advocating for education and for institutions to be held accountable because, mm. you know, it's, these institutions don't have to disappear for some of these problems to be mitigated. They can reform and um, change the type of messaging that they give. Unfortunately, a lot of that messaging is their lifeblood and their lifeline, so they're not going to change or reform it. What's your take on this, Lloyd? Well, I was only going to say that without wanting to deviate too much from the subject of child indoctrination, which yes, yes. you know is a very worthy subject in itself, um, when it comes to child sex abuse, um, Jehovah's Witness materials actively say that uh, it's the parent's role to protect children. So they, they basically wash their hands of the whole thing and place the blame entirely on parents and even to some extent on children because there's footage of a convention talk that was written by the organization to deal with child sex abuse. And the speaker even suggests that, you know, children ought to be thinking about wearing modest clothing. So it, apparently it's in the, it's the responsibility of the child to, to stop themselves from being raped. So yeah, don't even get yeah. me started on <laughs> on how Jehovah's Witnesses deal with this. Yeah. All right, I don't well, think you I can have a discussion I, about child indoctrination without touching on that. But yeah, uh, you were yeah I want to. I, I just, video? I just want to be. I, I gotta say, I just want to be clear here that I'm not, I, I'm not, I'm not advocating to blame parents. I'm, I'm. Mm -hmm. What I'm trying to point out here is that there are unintended consequences you know, of mm -hmm. our actions, and when we don't think through what some of those unintended mm -hmm. consequences are, that doesn't take all responsibility away from us. You know, and as parents, it is the parents' job. It's a tough job, probably the toughest job on the planet. And I acknowledge that. And, you know, there's no magic crystal ball or any of that to be able to tell the future. I'm just urging parents to think through the unintended consequences of their actions. Yeah. Because it's not like they knew what was going to happen. It's not like they're to blame for, you know, any of that, for some criminal's actions. That's not at all what I'm trying to say. I'm trying to encourage think through the the potential consequences of yeah know, i think there's a difference doing. between parents yeah. that are watching your videos and thinking about these things seeing the dangers and educating themselves versus parents that are still within the clutches of these organizations who are totally cut off from being able to see any other perspectives or any other points of view yeah. and you know it, breaking out of that is difficult um tell me about it so yeah, I get it, man. Okay, well let's uh, let's take a look at this JW one that Lloyd gave me here. This is listen, right. obey, and be blessed. Let me share this here. And Lloyd, you tell me okay, when to uh, stop. This is a, a four-minute video. Okay. We are going to sing song one twenty. Listen, obey, and be blessed. Are you ready to sing with us?
Okay, that's pretty much it. Um, okay. So all, all I would say here is that, first of all, I think that this video is slightly doctored by may, maybe by Jehovah's Witness because those aren't the original captions. I don't think the original video oh. had the lyrics on. But the the um, the images that we're seeing and the, the kind of half-baked animation is from Watchtower. Um, and this is a 2012 video. And I think one area in which... I, you know, I can beat both of you in terms of our former religions is is the sophistication of the indoctrination in terms of moving into the realm of uh, pixel uh, or Pixar Pixar style animations. Because I, we were asked, we were talking about this off camera before, and I asked Jonathan, "Do you have any equivalent to Caleb and Sophia in the Mormon Church?" And I think Jonathan said, "No." Um, we have a series of, uh, again, Disney-grade kind of cartoons with these characters, Caleb and Sophia. And this was just an, an early prototype almost from 2012. Mm. Then we've had dozens of, of cartoons, usually two or three minutes long, dealing with a given theme or a given area in which children need to toe the line. Some of these cartoons have included, for example... Um, stories in which Caleb and Sophia are frightened into thinking that they might die just as people died in Noah's day if they fall asleep at the meetings. Um, one of the one of the cartoons released in 2012 was Caleb's mum telling him that Jehovah would be sad because he brought home the wrong kind of plastic toy. Um, another cartoon is um, guilt tripping uh, Sophia because she's thinking of. Um, spending her pocket money on ice cream when she should be spending it on Kingdom Hall construction. And probably one of the most notorious cartoons was uh, one dealing with um, gay people. And Sophia comes back from school and is talking about how the fact, the, talking about how one of her classmates has two mommies and then gets lectured by her mother on, on why that's wrong, on, on how you know, the original standard in Eden is for there to be one man and one woman. So this is, you know, what we've just seen <laughs> is is lame. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's tame by comparison of, of what, we, right. what we've seen in subsequent years. But that, that central message of listen, obey, and be blessed has been carried through uh, right through to today with the cartoons that have been produced. I gotta say, just going through those few lines, it was very clear, though, um, as as primitive as this is, that these mm. lines of indoctrination were were well crafted, well thought out. You know, yeah. the, the messaging to these children is is uh, very, very. It's it's a very crafted thing. Every single word matters. You listen, you, know? you obey, and then you are blessed. That's right. And and blessing means. Not just oh, good things are going to happen, but bad things aren't going to happen. In other words, you're not going to die at Armageddon if you do as we tell you. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. In, in fact, the same themes from that other that first video, where you know, in this Jehovah's Witness video, where it talks about you're listening to God's will being expressed, and there's no bones about it. That means mm. what the Watchtower teaches, what the governing body teaches. Mm. And so, if you're making an equivalence of what they teach as God's will, then you've got the same exact idea that's in that first video. And then, you know, that includes, as Lloyd pointed out, the flip side of of being blessed, and that's if you don't obey, then your salvation is in stake. 
Exactly. Now, and it's only one or two words away. You know, I want you guys to think about out in the audience there when you look at this stuff and you think, well, this isn't bad messaging if you, you know, believe in God and this kind of thing. It's all true. Well, if you do listen and obey, then you will be blessed and all that. Okay, well, if you're missing the point that we're talking about indoctrinating in the direction of obeying other human beings, mm. not God, mm. right? There is that that little factor. But also, if, if this might help tip the scale at all for anybody out there, imagine instead of these, if these videos were not preaching, uh, uh, you know, an authoritarian sort of obeyance to God, what if they thought, what if they said the same thing about the government, mm. about the president of the United States? Indeed. Right. Listen, obey, be blessed. Right. But it's but it's I, the president. I, I, I just want to add as well that you you cannot underestimate how appealing. I mean, what we've just seen is very primitive artwork. If if your viewers haven't seen Caleb and Sophia yet, just type it into YouTube and you'll see what I'm talking about. It's very sophisticated animation, um, and just to kind of highlight the appeal that this has on young minds i have with me in the bunker my collection of watchtower materials and i have like a display section where i can display things and one of the things i display is the 2012 original caleb and sophia inaugural dvd which has a picture of caleb on the front flying his toy airplane and very frequently um because my bunker is opens out onto our garden Jessica will knock on the door and she'll want to come inside, you know, where daddy works. And she'll come in and almost every single time she gravitates towards that DVD because of how appealing and attractive the artwork is to a child. Well, let me... Um, and I, I try and... I think I've yeah. got a screenshot here of this. Let me throw this up here and tell me what you... I remember when I first you, encountered this, Caleb and Sophia. Yeah. Yeah, that's Caleb and Sophia. Visiting Bethel. Oh, this is a live... This is... Uh... Okay, so this is just integrated. With so that's some Caleb and okay. Sophia um, yeah. visiting Bethel, uh, okay. which is what all, all Jehovah's Witness kids are expected to do. It was even likened... I think Tony Morris put it this way. He said... You know, if if your kids have been to Disneyland but they've not been to Bethel, you know something's wrong there. Um, right. But but these characters are designed deliberately in a way that's extremely appealing to children, even children like Jessica, who've so far managed to be raised in a total vacuum of Jehovah's Witness dogma. Um, and that's been no easy thing, by the way, because we live with Jehovah's Witness uh, <laughs> in-laws. So there's been some conversations there. <laughs> but the, the very fact that whenever she comes into the bunker, she's almost immediately drawn to that. And I have to use it you know, to kind of sit down with her and use it as a teaching opportunity. Uh, it, it just kind of highlights how insidious this stuff is. I mean, these groups know how to tap into young minds and they're willing to go to great lengths to do that. Yeah, if Scientology ever gets on board with this, they'll be doing exactly these things. Mm. They will. There's be a designing. lot of potential there too. You know, Lord mm -hmm. Zenu and all the things. There could be some really <laughs> cool cartoons and all of that. Yeah, of that, of course. Actually. That's, uh, hey, I wanted yeah. to make a point, like a Lloyd. Thundercat um... style cartoon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The John. fact that all of these uh, videos and these these concepts carry this theme about authority 
and religious spiritual authority speaking for God type of authority. It, it really, when you compare somebody who might come to you or I and say, well, you know, when you teach your children, you're indoctrinating them the same way. The, the thing about the importance of that authority is it short circuits logic, reason, and conscience. It, it allows the group to say, well, you need to obey and follow this message, not because it makes logical, consistent sense, not because it follows the rules of science and, and what we understand about the world around us, not even because it's necessarily loving and right according to the way the world see things. It's only because these men have been given the special status of being the spokesperson for God or representing God. That is the one lever that you have to use to follow them. So if you're a viewer and you're looking at this and you're considering your own religious tradition and paradigm, just ask yourself, you're like, is there anything about my religion that if I took away the notion that these teachings came from God and instead they were just, you know, the ramblings of some adult person based on their own biases and prejudices and desire for power and attention, is there anything that I would then recalculate, revisit and say, well, maybe those things aren't right. Maybe those things that I perceive as loving are actually damaging. I can imagine a Jehovah's Witness in that position would say, well, wait a second, if, if, if these men don't actually speak for God, then the idea that I haven't held my grandchild because their parents are apostates mm. for the first 10 years of their life is actually really damaging. It's really bad. It's terrible. If these people don't speak for God, the only reason that some of these hurtful ideologies have any power is because of this notion that these people speak for God, which is instilled from childbirth here. Mm. And I don't know how Scientology does that when they don't have the, the God paradigm for it. But um, I know that, that in Mormonism, we're facing that where, you know, the only reason that a lot of it makes sense in the minds of some people is with this key stone idea that the prophets speak for God. So what they say is right. But if they didn't actually speak for God, then I would love to drink coffee and tea and to, you know, accept my son and his husband or something like that, you know? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's just building exactly on what I was trying to say earlier as well. You know, it's just when 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 all of the when, when the indoctrination is all going in the direction of obeying worldly leaders rather than you know God itself, it, it makes. I'm. I. I it, it seems to me that I don't know if if I was if I was part of a group where the whole thing was all about my relationship with a with a with a creator. I, you know, I, I don't know. I don't want guys in the middle of that. But I know that the structure of the JWs and the Mormons are that there are prophets and there are these people who are supposed to be interpreting that. So it's, I, I just, you know, I, I can't see myself mm -hmm. going in that direction at all. I was just, I thought L. Ron Hubbard was a real smart guy. It, there wasn't anything divine about it. It's just L. Ron Hubbard was a real smart guy. And he was able to figure out well, all this stuff that nobody else could. Is, Scientology is almost uniquely geared towards... I would say, recruiting adults rather yeah. than exploiting child indoctrination. So that's yes. why we're kind of at a, we're kind of, it's kind of uneven this conversation in some way yeah. because Scientology is basically pseudo psychology and making people feel important by you know sitting them down for therapy sessions and and tapping into that need that adults have to be listened to, whereas you know it's the other way around with jehovah's witnesses we're not really interested in listening to what people have to say and hearing their their life history and all that kind of thing 
we just want to add to our numbers and and Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses have realized that a very effective way of doing that is to indoctrinate children yeah exactly and I and I also think that the age of the groups has something to do with that in terms of Mm. phases of operation and you know where where are you putting your beans where are you putting your attention in terms of growing your group and Scientology hasn't gotten to the point yet where kids are that are that demographic or that that target audience yet they're just not you know they're yeah. still they're still concentrated exactly like you just said on the adults and i i agree let's hope the seal don't watch this video <laughs> i know right they yeah. were i'm just saying by the time mormonism was 50 years old we had our own state nation state <laughs> everybody was doing polygamy it was great you got i you know what can i say yeah when you when you're when you're right, you're right with power this man isn't he i know oh, yeah, you know we have our own state we have our own pre- presidential candidate. It's fantastic. <laughs> well, guys, let's. Uh, let's I think we've covered. No, the, you didn't do the Mormon the video. Oh, the Mormon video. Yes. Okay, the Mormon okay, video. Okay. Follow the prophet. Yes. 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 Jonathan this is Street straight parking orders at this point. That's right. That's, that's right. Sorry. Who, that's pretty much how it goes. Who we now, here we go. This, this is the. Uh, this is the Mormon one. You gotta get to the verse at least. Adam was a prophet, first one that we know, in a place called Eden, he helped him survive. <laughs> Adam served the Lord by following his ways, we are his descendants in the latter days. Follow the prophet, follow the prophet, follow the prophet, don't go astray, follow Wow, that was that was a little more primitive than the uh, than the JW one. I saw you take off your headphones, Lloyd. I had to sit through your flipping indoctrination. <laughs> Bloody loud! I don't know. What... Oh, that, that's Chris's fault. Yeah. Oh, okay, okay. So yeah, the good. words, the chorus. So it, it starts out, and there's multiple verses, but it alludes to biblical prophets. So you know it's legit because the prophets in the Bible, and we have prophets today. And then it connects the prophets in the Bible that needed to be listened and obeyed to the prophets today. And then the verse is ingenious because it's repetitive and it's straightened to the point, follow the prophet, follow the prophet, follow the prophet, follow the prophet, follow the prophet. He knows the way. Follow the prophet, follow the prophet, follow the prophet. Don't go astray. You know, it's it, in, it includes the obedience. It includes the authority tied to divine command because the prophets in the bible were divinely appointed the prophets today are divinely appointed and it ties to that threat existential threat or our coercive spiritual message which is that if you go astray then you're going to be faced with these spiritual you know consequences i don't know about you chris but i for one i'm very grateful that jonathan made us watch that video i i am too and i have many many thoughts on it which is just (laughs) saying we're running out of time No, it's a, it's all part and parcel. It's now now the Mormons have not yet put together a Sophia and what's this kid's name? Kayla. Sophia. Kayla. And, yeah. No, we that uh, we're an international church and we need to appeal to people of all different colors. Now that we no longer hold the people of the African continent and their descendants as cursed, oh. so it would be it's too much of a production value. So we've adopted more small short videos on particular themes that use a very basic style of animation 
that are voiceover so they can easily be translated into other languages uh, and that's it's much more memeable okay well then well, our makes... caleb and sophia is i mean obviously they're they i don't know whether they are white kids i think the the dad is hispanic but those cartoons get overdubbed with all the different languages right right that's impressive huh that's an impressive interesting part. stuff all right, folks. Well, this has been uh, more than a little interesting, <laughs> that's for sure. I've certainly learned some stuff this episode I did not see I coming. I think it's been chilling, hasn't it? I mean, yeah. I don't know about you, but whenever I'm dealing with this issue of child indoctrination and I come up against it so many times when I'm doing my JW Broadcasting rebuttals, because there's all sorts of insidious ways where the issue finds its way into the monthly episodes. It, I, I feel myself getting enraged by it. So this has kind of been like a, an overdose for me, leaving me fairly shell-shocked at, at just how manipulative these groups are, you know? What is behind that rage, Lloyd? Like, do you think it's... Are you feeling like the debris of your life having yeah. been affected by the child indoctrination? I think it's a combination of, of what was done to me um, and also now that I'm... And again, I, I don't, I'm not saying you need to be a, a parent to understand it, but when, when you are a parent, uh, particularly of very young children, and you see how vulnerable they are and, and you see how ready they are to just do whatever they're told, um, it, it just adds an, e an extra layer of evil when, when you contemplate what these groups are doing and, and the way that they are so brazenly hijacking young minds. Yeah. I, I I agree completely, and I have to say that um, uh, if I don't laugh about this stuff, I'm going to cry. Yeah, exactly. Basically, yeah. you know, is yeah. where I'm is where I kind of live on this because it yeah. is. I'm in some ways, especially when it does come to kids, like you just said, I am on a little bit of a hair trigger, mm. and I can get I can get really, really, really upset about this. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> And and I and I, I I try not to go there because it would just kind of be a little ugly and and maybe a little counterproductive for what I'm trying to accomplish but myself. It's, it's I'm talking worth about pointing me. out that this is the effect you know. it's having on us. In case people are yeah. watching three apostates episodes back to back, and they see us kind of laughing and joking in the last one, and they see us rather you know pensive in this one, and they're wondering why that is. You know. Yeah, it's it, there's to me there is nothing worse than messing with kids mm. um I, I have a hard time finding a a, a lower bar you know mm. um because they are exactly like you just said they are mm. sponges for information they are completely trusting because they have zero reason to think otherwise it mm. doesn't even enter their minds to not trust an adult unless they have already learned it been burned somehow or have been prepared by their parents to you know, learn some critical thinking. And it's difficult. It is difficult because children are of an age. Scientology gets this so wrong. And I have learned over the years how wrong they have gotten it and how much I've had to unlearn about how children are, 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 are have brains and bodies that are incapable of thinking certain thoughts yet. They're, they're just not there. The wiring literally doesn't even exist yet. And, mm. and a brain is not fully developed until it is 25 years old about around mm. there. Not, this 18 thing is, is a nice arbitrary distinction, but it's not a, a, a situation where you're, where you're talking about a fully developed brain or body. That, that doesn't happen until the mid-20s. So 
you know, this indoctrination that, you know, they say in, in Christian camps, I think nine or 10 or something is the golden years. You know, like this is this is a very worked out thing. We're 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 treating this very very. You know, we're kind of just doing a, a fly through on this, but mm. there is a tremendous amount to know about how detailed and 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 organized and involved child indoctrination specifically is in these mm. groups. And so, I've you know I've tried to put this together in a fairly light way so we can sort of look at some of it and and pop out, but. But I'm really glad you're 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 bringing this up this way, Lloyd and John, because um, because this is a deadly serious subject, mm. and I and I and I does need to be acknowledged, and I and I would not have done that because I'm yeah, uh, about this myself for my own, just for my own psychology, mm. you know. So yeah. you had an interesting call on your appearance on the. Um the Austin community of atheists or atheist community of Austin Lloyd, where mm-hmm. somebody is asking about um, how to deal with family members that attempt to indoctrinate their child when they're trying to teach them critical thinking and not have them subject to that indoctrination. Mm-hmm. And your discussion there was really good. And I, I appreciate the, the gravity that you approached it with. And if the viewers want to see a very, a, a more in-depth discussion of that, then definitely check that video out. Because um, these are, you know, issues for a lot of us that have left these organizations. Many of us still have family. And I have to deal with that with my own kids. My kids came back from visiting their mom and they had a bag full of scriptures. Mm. And, you know, it was almost laughable because I have like way more scriptures on my, um, and more church books in my little library than, than their mother-in-law or their grandmother has but she was trying to indoctrinate like if you ever want to read scriptures then here's mm. the scriptures i'm like girl i got tons of scriptures they can read all kinds of scriptures over there you don't have to send them to me mm. but i'm i'm maybe a little bit less rigid in how i allow my kids to be subject to them i i they go to church with their mom but that that's because she's in the faith and but then we talk about it and they, I just listen to them and they tell me their thoughts and feelings and I give them questions to think about. And, and so far from what they've related to me, that that's kind of, the, they do have an independent way of looking at the faith that's different from what, what I had when I was a kid. I think a lot depends on age as well, though. And uh, it, the whole reason why Deanna and I disassociated when we did was because we wanted to make sure that Jessica in particular um was was raised without any influence we, we didn't want there to be any excuse from our believing jw family for them to try and do what we weren't doing and try and indoctrinate our children so that's why we 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 took the stand of disassociating rather than simply fading because we wanted it to be very very clear that we weren't going to accept anyone trying to indoctrinate jessica and i'm very proud that jessica made it to five years old um, before she even really understood the concept of religion. And and I say that there was actually an exception where her her believing um, grand, her, her grandmother, my, my wife's mother, did actually try at one point to show her Caleb and Sophia. Oh. So, that, so that attempt was made despite our very, very clear uh, instructions to the contrary. And so that caused, you know, quite a bit of... Um, acrimony at the time but it did stay with Jessica so that as I say she made it to five years old and then it became clear that it, she was at an age where I needed to explain to her what the family dynamic was and and why things were different and why you know for example 
uh, my dad has nothing to do with with Jessica. So I sat down and and gave this whole bad men thing. If you want to know what I mean by bad men, just type John Cedar's bad men and you'll understand what I, what it was I told uh, Jessica. But when we explained the whole thing and we explained what the bad men do and how they control people and they persuade people to stop loving each other and they and they tell people that Jehovah is going to do things to them if they don't follow them. And we said, have you ever heard of Jehovah? And Jessica said, yes. So, so she was, even though she was only five years old, and even though this brush with indoctrination was so fleeting, she still remembered that name, Jehovah. And, and when you've been through what I've been through and what Diana's been through, I wish you could understand how heart-wrenching it is to go to so much trouble to kind of keep your child hermetically sealed from all this toxicity and despite all of those efforts for her still to know what that name means. Yeah. And, and how the individuals themselves become a force for indoctrination that the institution doesn't even have to do itself. It's mm. like you have people trying to shove things into children's brains, even around mm. the corners of your parents. I had that happen a few times with my mom. And I don't think she understands what she's doing. She thinks that she's helping. She thinks she's bringing light to my children, but that's because that's her worldview. That's the only thing that she knows. Hmm. Ugh. So it, well, it cuts close to the bone. This yes, one, I it think. does. It does. And I, and I, and I knew this was going to be a, you know, that this, that there was a lot here on this one. So I'm glad we were able to, uh, to address some of this at the end here. This is important stuff. Hmm. It's it's not easy, you know, guys out there, you know, being a former member of these groups. You know, we run into this. We run into all kinds of things all the time that is, that's very hard to explain to people who aren't us. We promise, <laughs> we promise a happier episode next time in which yes. I will resume teasing Jonathan about magic underwear. I promise. That's the spirit. Okay, guys. Well, any last thoughts or anything before we wrap up here? No, I mean just. Even hearing that small snippet of that song, it is now stuck in my head. Uh, so, yeah. you know, th yeah. these things that are with you from a, your childhood do not go away, yeah. even when you're there. I, I think I would just say that if you're watching this as a believing Mormon or a believing Jehovah's Witness or a believing any religion that is involved, if you're involved yourself in any form of child indoctrination, I suppose my heartfelt request would simply be, you know, take some time for introspection. Is is your religion really so justifiable? And do your beliefs really uh, hold so much water if the only way that you can get them to stick is by hijacking your child's developmental process to, to try and get these beliefs embedded in their brain? You know, surely if these beliefs... Uh, are are credible are something that can be taken seriously surely it's it, it should be a case of waiting until your child is an adult before introducing them why do you feel the need to you to hijack this process and to to capitalize on on the trusting phase of your child's development to to give these beliefs a foothold so that would be my heartfelt plea to anyone watching who is who is doing this awesome all right guys thank you very much for taking part in this this week I always appreciate your time and effort and attention on this stuff. And uh, folks out there, any questions, comments, or feedback, 
leave it in the comments section below here on YouTube or at sensiblyspeaking.com. We and are interested in your feedback. If I can say, yes? please, please support Chris Shelton's Patreon account <laughs> because he is getting hammered with demonetization at the moment. It is not easy to be a YouTube creator. Uh, Chris devotes a lot of time and effort into making these videos. And so those of you who are supporting him on Patreon are doing a huge service in making this information available. So please do support Chris in that way. Thank you very much. Excellent, guys. All right. I'm not going to shill for yep. you, Chris. I'm no, not shilling I did, for you. I did, I did not pay them to do that. Did not, did not at all. <laughs> Thank you very much, guys. As as always, this is this is uh, fun, informative, entertaining, educational, and um, and yeah, support the channel. Okay, guys. See you next week. Take care. Bye-bye.